This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Sheila and I have been in Honduras for 10 years. We went there for one. We just haven't found our way home yet. But I think in trying to find our way home, we found us a new home. And so we just wanted to share with you this morning. I, th- there's, there's kind of a way I, I share this and that, first of all, I kind of want to share with you what God does in my life and what he has done in Honduras. So, uh, so it, it'll be kind of a mixture of what God has been teaching me uh, personally and what, what's kind of happening there. All right? If you can do that with me, say amen. amen. Now, you see where, where I'm from, amens are, are, are a big deal, okay? Because if I preach on Sunday morning and in one of our local churches, if I say amen, they usually follow it with? Amen. Yeah, and, and, and you know, they're a little bit more lively than you are. Uh, so uh, so I'm going I'm, I'm to give you a chance to get a little bit of Honduran excitement going here for just a second. Amen? Amen. Oh, okay. That's good. That's good. Now we can get started. All right. (laughs) Nags Head Church has been a big part of our lives for the last decade, for sure. For we, we are this year in the midst of 10 years in foreign missions. And like I said, I never thought we would get there. But Nags Head has been a very faithful, supporting church for us. And we, we just have to say thank you. We could not do what we're doing without you. This would be impossible. We are totally faith-based. Uh, we raise all of our own support. Nagset is a part of that uh, financial, spiritually encouraged part of our lives. And we just want to say thank you. Not only that, we're having some of the most fun we've ever had in our lives. For you, oh, I don't know. My life started at 50 for some reason. I don't know why. But something just happened, clicked it when I became 50 years old. So if you're sitting there 45 and you're wondering where you're going, hold on, okay? Just hold on. The heart, but let's get started this morning. The heart of a pastor is to move people from where they are or their congregation for where they are to where God is. Doesn't that sound simple? You would think pastoring has a lot of stuff going on, and it does, but the basic desire of pastors' hearts are to move people from where they are to where God is. Now, don't get it backwards. We're not trying to move God to where you are. God can't go there. All right? For some of us, God just can't go there. Uh, but it is, it is, God, we're trying to get you to move and be where God is. Because that's where life is really exciting and God starts to do some really wonderful and unique things in your life. Our hope is that you will encounter Christ in such a way so that your Christian life will be transformed And so that you will impact the community around you where you are. Because Jesus desires for us all to make a difference. Amen? Amen. 
you are almost off on that cue. Jesus desires for us to make a difference where we are. Amen? Amen. Okay. So in the, in the process of Jesus doing this, he is always changing us, always doing something different in our life. So God's desire is that we would be that person for that church. Now, if you've not, if you're visiting Acts, the pastor has been doing a series of messages out of the book of Acts called That Church. But God desires for us to be that person for that church. Because when I think of the church anymore, it's hard for me to think of an individual congregation. I think of what God is doing in Honduras and in the United States. I just see the church as a group of people who are caught out to be transformed and changed to where they can be impactful in the, in the community where they are. That they can bring people through the saving knowledge and understanding of Christ. Now, I, I'm going to share with you something very personal this morning. I'm, and I just want to tell you, I'm just kind of laid open. Um, there's surgery happening here. There's nothing special about me. I am not a very talented person. Okay? I'm not gifted in speaking. I'm not, I'm not gifted in really anything. I can tell you that a diesel engine has shown me how stupid I am this year because I cannot keep it running correctly. A dumb machine has put me in my place. So, uh, what is my biggest struggle that keeps me from being that person? I had a pastor friend of mine who was in the pastor for 32 years. Rick is getting close to that. And... Uh, he had, and he was time for retirement. And so he was preaching his, the sermon right before his last sermon, before he retired. And at the very end of that, next to the last sermon, he said this. Now, I want to tell you all, next Sunday, when I come to church, I'm going to name the person who has given me the hardest time since I've been here for pastor for 32 years. Yeah. And he said, the last Sunday, there were some people who noticeably did not show up. <laughs> so he gets in the pulpit, and everybody is waiting to find out who he's going to name. And he stands in front of them, and he says, listen, the person who has given me the greatest problem over the last 32 years is myself. When God calls us to be transformed and changed, who's the biggest problem? It's myself. And so my biggest struggle is thinking that by being committed, I am also being submitted. You just think about that for a minute, would you? Just think about what that is. My biggest struggle sometimes is by thinking I'm committed, I am submitted. Whew, committed. Let's talk commitment, all right? Wow. Sheila and I went to seminary for five years. That's commitment. 
We started two churches. That's commitment. And then lo and behold, we made the ultimate Christian sacrifice. We became missionaries. Isn't that weird? That somehow we think, it seems to that sometimes that we think, you know, the ultimate sacrifice in Christian service is missionaries. Isn't that funny? I think it's hilarious. Because I know in my own heart that one of the biggest struggles I, 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 I work with is thinking that just because I've been committed to these things, I've been submitted to Christ and everything that He has asked of me, and I have found out that at times I am very much left wanting. I fail so often. Sometimes I fail so often, I just want to bury my face in my hands and say, Dear God, why do you still work with me? Now, I'm like you, okay? Let's be honest with ourselves. Can we be honest for a minute? If we're truly honest with ourselves, when God starts to work in our lives and he calls us to something new, okay, when he calls us to something new, it is, it, it, what happens is he is trying to do a special work in our life. And did I miss a slide somewhere? <laughs> I wonder if I got something out of order here a little bit. But God is always trying to do something new in our lives. Let's look at Peter's life. As, Jesus, as Peter was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And at that moment, at once, they left their nets and followed him. That's commitment. You say, he's pretty committed. He left his job. He gave that all up, and he started to follow Jesus. He was, he was, he was right on target. Boy, this guy is committed. When God invites you into something that he is doing, he will change you into something you're not. Did you get that? When God calls you really into something, he will start to change you into something you are not. Because when I started off, I was not a missionary. I just struggled. And in fact, maybe I was struggling in some areas of my life. But what I found out about this is when God, in, and God invited me in to be involved in what he was doing, and all of a sudden he says, I want you to do this, then God had to make me into something I was not. Wow, why do we always resist transformation and change where we know for sure that's what God has called us to? I want to be that person for that church because I know that God wants to do some transformation or change in my life. But you know, I'm like you. Every once in a while, you know what happens to me? I say, hey, you know, God, my wife needs some work. You could work on her for a while and forget me a little bit. Oh, you know our pastor? 
Why can't he change a little bit? And, 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 and you work on him and stop working on me. See, the only person God can change to impact the world for you is you. And we seem to think God ought to go around changing others for us. What is up with that? That doesn't make sense to me. So God comes along and he says, listen, I want to change you. I'm going to turn you into something you're not because I've got something I want you to do. And listen, how many of you have ever said, God, use me? Yeah, we say it all. You may say, God, use me. And then all of a sudden, God starts to do something with you and he calls you to be changed. And you say, oh, had enough, had enough, had enough. Got something else? Well, when God starts to change me, I always have this plan in my mind, don't you? This is how it's going to go. I'm going to be on a bike, and I'm just going to slowly ride up this hill. Because if God's in something, there's no resistance, right? I mean, if God's really in it, there's just never any trials and tribulations. I mean, we just get this idea in our mind that if God is calling me to something new— and something different that causes me to change, it's just going to be like mom and apple pie. It's just going to be so easy. But the reality is, it's totally different. The reality is, you're going to be climbing a hill, you're going to go to the bottom, you're going to fall at the bottom, you're going to have to climb rocks, you're going to climb up the other side of the wheel, then you're trying to take a bike across the ladder, and then you've got to get in a boat. Get in a boat, I know all about that, living in the Caribbean. And you, you are... Oh. And the flag looks much bigger for my plan, and it's so small for God's reality. Wow. So I just miss what God is up to so much of the time. When when Peter said, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you, and and Peter, Peter says, yes, I'll go with you, and, he, and he, Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. By the mere fact that Peter left and went with him, he was saying, okay, God, I buy in. Lord Jesus, I buy in. I buy in for the, for the whole deal, the whole trip. Okay, I buy in. I'm ready to go. But what was he saying? What was Peter declaring? And what was he telling the world about his life? He was declaring to the world what he believed about Jesus. Did you get that? When you follow Christ, you declare to the world what you believe about Jesus. If God calls you to do something and you say no or invites you in, what are you declaring? You're declaring what you don't believe about Jesus. You're saying he's not able. He's not capable. God is able. He is capable. When I see Peter... Going and he is being turned into a fisher's of men. Oh my gosh, did he have a struggle? Boy, did he have a struggle. And we need to look at some of his real struggle because committed to Christ does not always mean that we're always submitted. And where does that lead my life if I just live out of total commitment and never submission? Where does that lead me? Well, the first thing we got to understand commitment is to engage or pledge, but to submit is to yield the will or power of another, to be obedient. 
so much of our personal slogan here in the United States is when things get tough, the tough get going. What really needs to happen is the tough need to stop and they need to submit their lives to Christ and see what God wants to do about it. Boy, we hate this word submission, don't we? Because it strips me too much of my soul. What about me? Because the United States is all about me and individuality. Boy, I want to tell you what. Our culture can learn a lot from third world cultures and warm climate people because they are not as individualistic as we are. They celebrate the group instead of the individual. Oh my gosh, what a difference. They celebrate what you are a part of, not what you excel in by yourself. In other words, if they had Wheaties in the United States, they would have a team of people on the front instead of one person, just as one person shining glory. And they would all talk about how they did it together. They wouldn't talk about how they did it individually. See, if you and I are going to understand what submission is, we can never say, I did it my way. We have to say, God is God, and he did it in us and through us. And my gosh, when you look at me, there's nothing that says, I'm talented enough to pull this off. Commitment leads to doing and engaging. And Peter was good with that. Then, just, then Jesus told them this very night, you will fall away on account of me, it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will get scattered. But after that, I will have risen. I, I have risen. I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, now, now Jesus, 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 if all of these other guys fall away, you can count on me. There, there's commitment. God, I've looked at this church. I've seen all these people. I know they'll fall away, but you can count on me. Isn't that what commitment does? Kind of says, I'm not like everybody else. I'm committed. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This very night before the rooster crows, Peter, you will disown me three times. And Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples says, hey, Peter's getting too much of the commitment stuff, and he's getting too much, too many praise and accolades and good ideas going. So the disciples says, oh, we, let's all kind of shout amen on that one, would you? Amen? See how disciples are? We want to fall in together. We don't want anybody to get one up on us. So we all try to kind of live out the commitment life. And sometimes commitment, the only thing it does is reveals my stubborn heart like it did with Peter. Now Peter was standing in the courtyard when the servant girl came to him and says, also you were with Jesus in Galilee. And he, but he denied it before them all. Jesus, Peter says, no, 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 not me. I wasn't there. I didn't know the guy. Just a few minutes ago, he says, I'd die with you. I'd go with you anywhere. But in the next 10 minutes, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't know him. And then he went out of the gateway where another girl saw him, and he said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. 
And now you're thinking in your heart, boy, Peter's really a jerk. I'm one of those. I'm one of those. Are you so foolish to think that you're not? I'm one of those. I'm committed, but I'm one of those. Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. I'm from the South. You can't hide that. You can't hide that in Honduras. You can't hide that out in Texas. You can't hide that when I go out to the West Coast. I'm going up to the North yet to preach, and everybody will talk to me about how I talk funny. I'm convinced it's all them. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I knew I'd get a good one on that one, buddy. And so so it's, it's, it's just... He just says, I don't know the man. And the rooster crowed. And he went out and wept bitterly. Oh, crying, breaking. Boy, it's a painful thing, isn't it? I want to tell you, we live on a remote island in the Caribbean. One mile by four miles is all there is. 1,200 people on it. No infrastructure. No roads. No cars. We only have electricity that we generate, or some people generate by generators. And no running water. Um, we have to capture water in tanks and whew, you know what I had this morning for the first time in 10 months? I had a hot shower. Because in, where I am in the Caribbean, there's no hot water. Not that I would want any. But I want to tell you, when you get up at, 30, get up at 32 degree weather, I like the hot water. Well, Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of submission, okay? Jesus says this. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does. Did you get that? What does Jesus do? What he, he, do he does what he sees the father doing. Is Jesus doing this on his own? No, he's under submission to the father, Amen. I mean, do you, do you, you missed it. Jesus is under submission to the Father, amen? Amen. Oh, good. And so, so what happens is, is that we've got this idea. You don't see Jesus saying, hey, I'm committed. He says, I'm unsubmit, under submission. So what we try to do is we try to say commitment equals submission where it does not. Peter, seen, we've seen this in the life of Peter. He says, I'll die for you. I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you. But it doesn't mean his life was being transformed. I'm convinced his life really didn't change much until he went out and wept bitterly. And then he started to get it. I'm sorry. I'm just a little bit passionate about this thing. Jesus said, by myself, I can do nothing. Jesus couldn't go to the cross without being submitted to God the Father. He just couldn't do it. And Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality of God was something to be grasped. Now listen to this. Whew. Look at this just for a second. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to the Son. There is submission all in the Trinity. How do you think fellowship stays fellowship within the Trinity without mutual submission? It doesn't. Now we want to go a step further. You look at the family. God takes the family. And he looks at the husband. And he has the wife. And he has the children. And he says, women should submit to their husbands. God is in that sphere. God is in that circle. Because the husband has the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is mutual submission that happens there. I have taught all of my life in erroneously so, that the number one thing you need to be in marriage is committed. I want to tell you the number one thing you need to be in marriage right now is submitted. That scares me to death. But that's how Jesus went to the cross. Now lastly, let's look at the church. The church says this. Christ is the head, then there's the elders, leaders, and then there's congregation. Who do the elders submit to? God. Who, do, who does the congregation submit to? The elders. When I got ready to go to the foreign mission field, <laughs> I came and met with the elders. I had already told my wife we were not going to go unless the elders said it was okay to go. So we sat down and talked with them. And I remember that like it was yesterday, okay? I remember walking into that elder's room, and, and I remember what they told me. Rick told me, Larry, he says, you know, Larry, it usually takes people two or three, two and a half to three years to get money together to go do something like this. And he says, you're leaving in 45 days. When we went to the farm mission field, we got there in a hurry within 30 days, 30 to 45 days. And I looked at him, and I said, you're right. We could be returning home in 30, 60 days and being looking really stupid. But right now, I sense that God is calling us to do that right now. And they gave us wise counsel and let us go. And it's because they wanted to protect us. Now, Rick on the last break told me it was not that they were concerned about me. They were concerned about Sheila. <laughs> I'm thankful that they were concerned however they were. But they gave us wise counsel. And we all agreed. And now we've been in it for 10 years, so, so we didn't mess up anywhere in that submission moment that we shared together. And Jesus, going a little bit further, he fell on his face to the ground and says, My Father, if it's possible to let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was submitted to the Father. Now, I love this little talk Jesus has with the Father because I see myself doing this all the time. Okay, God, I got plan A. I know I'm going to go to a cross and die. Plan B? Plan B. God, anyway, there's a plan B? Anyway, to take option door number two? And he says, nope. 
Then he says, not my will, your will be done. Now, what is that? That's submission. You just got to realize there's, when you look at commitment, sometimes you want to come up with a better idea, and you're not Ford. And, and you're not Elvis Presley. You cannot have it your way. And, and the real, realization is, as we as believers are called not to be committed to Christ, but to be submitted to Christ. And I'm afraid that we've proclaimed commitment as the glory mark of every believer where submission should be our glory mark. You remember the woman at the well? He sent the disciples off to go get something to eat. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? There's commitment. Could someone have brought him some food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the one, do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Did you get that? His life and spirit was fed through submission. Not because he had a better idea. His life was fed through submission. Man, oh, I want to tell you, I I am not here yet. I I am proclaiming the truth that is knocking me off my feet every day of my life. Because when I read the New Testament anymore, I go through and I'm marking up my Bible as I read the New Testament. And I see C for commitment, S for submission. C for commitment, S for submission. And I think about the life of Peter. I see him moving from, from thinking that he was committed and to where a point he has to submit. I look at the Apostle Paul and his, and his commitment to destroy the church. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him. And all of a sudden, he becomes submitted man unto the Lord Jesus. I think about David and the times that he submitted. And there were times that he was just committed. And I looked at and I see it in so many Bible characters. They struggled with it time and time again. And, and we have the joy of being submitted and to proclaim to the world what we believe about a holy God. So there can be submission. Oh, and then there's this deal with the disciples when they're trying to figure out things together. You can, t- you can read commitment all over this passage of Scripture. What do you want me to do for you, he asked, they replied. Well, the disciples had a little discussion of who was the greatest of them all. So they said, it says, well, let one sit at your right hand and the other sit at your left in your glory. Let us have the place of prominence. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am, I am baptized with? We can. We can. Commitment is so vain sometimes because we don't even know how to count the cost. We don't even know how to count the cost. If you've ever gone into business for yourself, I bet you sometimes along, somewhere along the way you said, if I knew it was going to cost this much, I'd not done it. 
But now you're invested so heavy you can't back out of it. You've got to stay committed. They said, we can. Commitment will ultimately make you hungry for a place of prominent. Want you to have a prominent place for yourself, but not a part of God's story. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes commitment can lead us to a place totally of the flesh if we're not careful. Mm. Hold on. In Colossians chapter 2, I think it's the end of chapter 2, and I don't have this in my notes, but just come into remembrance. And if you read it in the King James, it says this. Touch not, taste not, do not. All has a show of wisdom in the way of commitment. But in no way has any way to check the indulgence of the flesh. Therefore, you are experiencing, and it's leading you to, well worship. W-I-L-L dash worship. If we're not careful, commitment will lead us to nothing but worshiping our own selves and our own willpower and our own ideas, and we will not be a submitted people. The last three or four years on the island of Helene, I've struggled with wanting to teach some leadership as if I had that figured out. But God, but God was kind of breaking me and speaking to my heart about some things, and so he finally I started to get some pastors and some leaders together, and we started talking. The second meeting we got together, they asked about forgiveness. And so we started talking about how we biblically forgive, that you come and you all sin is against God first, and then sometimes it's against each other. So I said, if you have offended your brother, first thing you have to say, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. I've sinned against the Holy God, and I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Well, God will forgive us, because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I need to hear from the voice of my brother and sister that I'm forgiven. And I was, we were just teaching that together. And in a few moments, what happened, I just cannot explain. I don't understand it. I'm still confused by it. But all of a sudden, uh, people in that, in that small Bible study were laying prostrate on the floor, on their bellies, crying out to God, asking forgiveness for sin and for people that had offended. And they, now they're coming to say, how can we make other people sense this submission to Christ and, and forgiveness because we don't do that here. If, let me ask you something. When do you, expect, when do you respect a leader the most? When they cover up what they did wrong or when they get on TV and say, I'm sorry, I blew it? When do you respect them the most? Our, our country is dying for a leader who will say, I failed. And if you don't help me, we're going to continue to fail. But what do we do? We get committed. 
We come up with new ideas and new things that put us in a worse place where we are now. I don't even live here. <laughs> you see, I'm going to take you back for just a moment to those, to those three little circles, the Trinity, the family, and the church. Did you see that submission was the nature of God? That was his nature. God does not develop any institution that does not have the stamp of his nature and character on it. Now, you go home and try to line out the sphere of politics and see what you come out. Commitment will make you hungry for a place of prominence where only thing God wants you to do is have a part. A part of his work. But I love this. That I just got a part. Not even a big part. I don't care that it's not a big part. But I know this. Whatever part God gives me to play in the bigger story of winning this world to Christ, that's okay. Because if I submit in that, God will be glorified through it. I don't have to have a place of prominence. Why would I? Out of that leadership that I've been praying about, there's a governing group of people on our island called the Patronata. God has done a unique thing this year. A whole new governing group of people have been risen up on the island. And things are starting to change for the better. And the old group, this is not just a political turn, but these guys came up with just a concern for their community and started helping. Not in any political way whatsoever, but in, in the recent days, the government has done away with the old and said, y'all are making a difference. We want to support you. And did you know the top leaders in that group have all been trained through our ministries in Honduras at some level? And I'm going, God, I've been praying for leadership for years, and now I'm seeing this little part of the story. I'm seeing the little part. And I want to tell you, when you submit to God, you fit right into your part of the bigger story of bringing this world to Christ. You'll never do it through commitment. It will not work. It will be when you submit. And maybe you will have to be like me and Peter. You had to run out and weep bitterly and say, God, I've lived a committed life, but submission has been far from me. I pray, my prayer, is that my life would be transformed. Yours would be transformed. And I will celebrate God for my little part in his bigger story. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. This has been a presentation of Nagshead Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.